This podcast is not meant to be professional advice of any kind. It's meant to be informative and entertaining. If you make any changes to your life, see the appropriate professional before you do so. Hello, and welcome to SuperAge. My name is David Harry Stewart. I'm the founder of Aegist. At SuperAge, we help you live better and become the best version of yourself. And who doesn't want a SuperAge? Today's show is brought to you by Inside Tracker, the dashboard to your inner health. Go to insidetracker.com/aegist to save 20% on all their products today. Welcome to episode 86 of the SuperAge podcast. It's great to have you with us. This will be dropping on June the 9th. 2022. Today on the show, we're going to welcome back Dr. Scott Sharon. We had Scott on a few months ago talking about hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Um, he's one of the world's foremost experts on that. Um, fascinating, fascinating technology. Um, but Scott also knows a lot about various other sort of modalities that he helps his patients with. Um, he has an integrative medic- medicine practice, and we're going to have him on the show today. It's going to be um, a fascinating conversation. Today, it is a lovely day in the mountains of Utah. It's about 80 degrees, blue sky. The mountains are still the tops of them anyway, have some snow. It's lovely. It's just great. And all the animals come down out of the mountains um, this time of year, and they munch on the shrubbery, which makes some kind of awesome viewing out the window of my office here. Um, We'll see (laughs) all manner of creatures out there, which is kind of great. Uh, and being summer, you know, I I thought I would start a new exercise program because, well, you know, that's just how I roll. Uh, and my latest self-experiment has been with something called um, Eight Weeks Out, which is this Joel Jameson program. And Joel Jameson is probably one of the top four or five athletic performance conditioning coaches out there. Um, and this thing is, it's fascinating. There's a, I mean, it's hard, you know, it's designed for like, collegiate athletes and i'm 63 (laughs) Um, but it's super effective and what's so interesting is all the science that goes along with it so there's tons and tons of videos about you know why he's doing what he's doing and one of the things that i became very interested in was this idea of calming your central nervous system down after you're doing something that requires a lot of stress and you know he talks about this about you know, doing box breathing at the end of the workout or what he calls bear breathing or, you know, different ways to sort of get yourself calmed down. And I, I've done a little bit more of a deep dive into this. There's another fairly famous exercise physiologist called Dr. Andy Galpin, and he talks about something very similar about working with athletes and training them to get themselves to calm down, to get out of that really high activity, sympathetic state that your body's in after you're doing, you know, some kind of um, high athletic performance. But also, if you've done something really high uh, mental or emotional stress, so you meet someone, you have a meeting, something like that, and he talks about how important it is to bring the this central nervous system down to um, to a lower state, which is something we we had Dr. Sarah Mednick on about three months ago, talking about the value of the downstate, which is, which is very similar. And I, I, I sort of love when all these 
theoreticians, these practitioners, the, the Venn diagram of them, of their information comes together. And so I've, I've become very interested in this idea of calming the body down on a regular basis. And the, these folks that deal with high-performance athletics, they say that if you can do that, the value of that is tremendous, that your recovery period um, it can be reduced to, rather than like three days, it goes down to like a day. Because w- what happens is after you've done some sort of high, you know, some, some, some sort of athletic thing, you've been at the gym or something, um, you need to signal your body that like fight or flight is over. And that's what the breathing does. It tells your body like, oh, okay, like we're not, we're not in the fight anymore. It's okay, we can calm down. Otherwise, to just naturally ramp down can take like six hours, eight hours. And that's time that your body can be using to recover. Because remember, all the gains from these things, the the, the way we, we get better is not so much from stressing our body, it's the recovery from the stress. And I, I really liked how this was taken also into more mental performance fields. So, you know, if you're, you have a difficult phone call with someone, or you have like a really intense um, work session on something or other, and you're you know, really um, using your mind a lot. And it's something that today's guest, Dr. Scott Scherer, is going to talk about. 20% of the energy output from our bodies is our brains, is our thinking. And so, you know, like bringing that down into more parasympathetic. So that's something I'm, I've been working on um, this week. And we're researching, trying to get somebody on the show who's an expert in breathwork, in breathing, and how... These different sorts of these different modalities of breathing can regulate our central nervous system. So we're gonna we'll have somebody on the show coming up in the next couple of months who um, so we can really dive into that. And as a quick reminder, we have this Google Voice number, and we would love for you to call in to the show, and we'll play it on the show if you have something question you'd like to ask, a comment. Eight zero one eight seven one five two nine one is that number. Eight zero one eight seven one five two nine one. And there's going to be a lot of stuff that comes up. Um, we're talking to Dr. Scott Schur in just a few minutes here. He's got all kinds of um, fascinating things that we're going to talk about. I'm sure some of you will have questions about that. So um, bring that on. Um, give us a shout, 801-871-5291. And we'll bring those questions to Scott and see what he has to say. And as a reminder, every week on Instagram Live on Monday afternoons, we do this fun sort of game show thing called What's Hot and What's Not. And this last week, we had Luis de Oliveira, who's the founder and CEO of De La Espada, um, which I think probably makes the best-made, most beautiful furniture out there. Um, really uh, an innovator in the world of like how do you package and send things of that scale sustainably. Uh, and we have a really fun chat about all kinds of fun stuff like plaid furniture can we do that i don't know <laughs> check it out it's on our instagram we are ageist today's show is brought to you by inside tracker which is the dashboard to our inner health as you're going to hear in the podcast coming up with dr scott share he talks about optimizing our bodies like before we get into the, any of these sort of exotic modalities that we're going to talk about we need to get the the vitamins the minerals we need to get our inner health all optimized first because, you know, if your LDL is out of whack, um, it really doesn't matter 
how much of these other things you're doing. It's still going to be a problem. And you need to know what those things are. We're really very poor judges of our own inner health. I mean, we all like to think to ourselves like, oh yeah, I'm really healthy. Everything's great. But is that true? Do we really know that? And and where can we improve? Because in my mind, I want to be as healthy as I can because I want to live the healthiest, longest lifespan that I can. Inside Tracker is the dashboard to my inner health. I'm, I've been using this product for almost two years now. And by following the recommendation that the app gives me, looking at the levels of my inner health, following those food recommendations, those supplement recommendations, I have made some pretty tremendous progress in lowering my LDL and increasing a lot of the other positive indicators of my inner health. It's a great, great app. I'm, I'm really a huge fan of this. Please go to insidetracker.com slash ageist. Save 20% on all their products today. Hey, Scott, how are you today? David, it's good to be with you again once more. Nice to see you. It's good to see you. Uh, we had a, um, a fantastic conversation a few months ago about HBOT, hyperbaric oxygen therapy, um, which is something I find very interesting. And But during that conversation, you mentioned that you use it in combination with other modalities, mm-hmm. which piqued my curiosity for this podcast. Mm-hmm. And like, what do you mean by other modalities? So I thought <laughs> we, would, <laughs> we would sort of go through these. But I, 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 before we get into that, I, um, because, you know, as we spoke a little earlier, people are very attracted to the, the esoteric and the, mm. the technological, the, you know, what's the blue pill? Um, but I thought maybe we, sh- we should just have like sort of a review of the basics before we get into the, the esoteric. So mm-hmm. when somebody comes to you and they say, you know, whatever, I want to live better, healthier, um, how do you how do you approach that before you start putting them in an HBOT tank or something? Well, I mean, it's how I start off almost all of my conversations, actually, in the sense that I get calls from all over the world, consulted all over the world by patients, by clinics that are looking to use hyperbaric therapy for themselves, for individ- for individuals, and they're going coming to their clinic for their family members. And I always want to, I always listen kindly, of course, about what they're looking to talk about regarding hyperbaric therapy. But oftentimes, 80% of what I speak about has nothing to do with hyperbaric therapy at all. It has to do with optimizing as best they can outside of a hyperbaric environment because the chambers are not easy to get. They're not easy to afford for everybody. And they're fantastic synergizers and accelerators. But if you're not doing the basic things first, if it's not an acute issue, like if you have an acute trauma, an acute injury, then it's great to get in the chamber. You don't have to pass go. You can get in there and you're going to heal faster. This is any kind of injury almost for the most part, even surgical injuries. If you had a planned surgery, you're going to heal 50% faster on average if you get into a hyperbaric environment after you've had that surgery. Okay. So taking the acute stuff out of the, off the table for a minute and more addressing long-term goals, anti-aging, longevity, uh, Lyme disease, dementia, any kind of illness you can think of that's a kind of a chronic medical illness, chronic fatigue syndrome, et cetera. What you really want to be doing in my 
my perspective is you really want to look at the optimizing of the basic things first, if possible. And we'll talk about that in a minute. And then looking at even diving into comprehensive laboratory assessments, looking at vitamins and minerals, nutrients, gut health, hormone health, immune system function, because if you're not doing these things, it's going to be very difficult for you to attain those goals that you're looking for long-term. And the basic stuff is pretty basic. And it's the stuff that we forget all the time, David. I mean, the easiest and most important things are my colleague, I think said it best. You, know, you want to sleep well, you want to eat well, you want to hydrate well, you want to love well, you want to rest well, and you want to enjoy yourself in a <laughs> having good relationships well as well. So what I'm really kind of driving at here, these are the basic things. Like you want to make sure you're sleeping well. You want to make sure you're drinking water and, and hydrating well, not just regular water, but probably mineral water as well, a decent amount of the time. And you want to make sure that you're eating well. And that, that does change for everybody, but in essence, eating well is relatively simple is what it comes down to. And then at least in sort of umbrella terms. And then the, the specifics really depend on you and your physiology and your makeup as far as I, I'm concerned. So those are the main things that I'll talk about with people first. And then I like to dive into the comprehensive assessment if they're willing to do that and look at those vitamins, minerals, nutrients, and gut health, immune health, and those kinds of things too. Um, okay. That sounds great. I'm, I'm, I'm all on board with that. Uh, <laughs> individualized, targeted, everything. Um, right. Yeah. But in general, like, you know, that you need to sleep a certain amount ideally, yeah. right? And oh, yeah. ideally you need to be hydrating a certain amount depending on your body weight. So right. these are, you, they're individualized, but they're also general recommendations that almost anybody can follow without doing laboratory data. But the, and the amazing thing we can do now is that we can actually dial in our supplements, dial in our diet, yeah. dial in our gut health and the foods that we're eating. Right depending on what our gut is doing and what it needs and what our, what our vitamin, mineral, nutrient status is. And so you can look at all these things and I can make pretty good guesses depending on people's diets, to be honest, and understand how nutrient and gut, how nutrient deficient they're going to be and how gut optimized they're going to be. I mean, the bad news is that if you live now in the world, your gut is going to be screwed up in some way because it's almost impossible. I mean, unless you're living, you know, the ancestral lifestyle from our paleolithic ancestors in some, you know, tribe in Africa, for the most part, your gut's going to be messed up. And so there's ways to optimize that. And so that, that's how I see the basics of it. Uh, David, I know I'm going through basics and more complexity in the sense of like, yes, sleep for seven to nine hours, drink X amounts of liters of water a day, depending on your body weight. And, and if you're male or female and how much exercise you're doing, this is easy stuff to calculate. But then you can go the next steps of really dialing in and get, getting things specific for you. You've mentioned hydration mm. maybe six times in the last five minutes. Yes, yes. So this is top of mind for you. Talk to me about hydration. Well, I just think it's get lost. You know, I, my father had me read a book when I was younger. So he's a chiropractor and it's, it's called Your Body's Many Cries for Water. And what your body often signaling to you when you're hungry is actually that you're thirsty that you need mm. water. And so that the whole premise of the book is that, you know, we're made up of like 75% water and that's not just sterile water. Okay. Guys and, and gals, we're talking about water that has nutrients in that. And what the, what the nutrients I'm talking about here really are minerals. So your magnesium, your potassium, your phosphorus, your trace minerals, your selenium, your, um, your manganese, your magnesium, but I think I said magnesium already. So like, just to give you a sense that mineral water in general will have these properties, mineral water comes from the ground and ground mineral water typically has some sort of 
ecosystem or milieu of these kinds of minerals associated with it. The key one though, that I didn't even mention is salt, sodium chloride. And sodium chloride is extremely important for the absorption of water when you drink it. So we're not talking about like seawater. Nobody wants to drink seawater because that will make you vomit. Uh, and that's a way that we make some people vomit that need to, but, um, salt in water allows that water to get absorbed through your intestinal lumen, through your GI tract into your body. Without salt, some gets absorbed, but a lot of it doesn't. And so what I find that I, I have to, it's a very simple thing for most people, but trying to add either a pinch of salt, Himalayan salt, Celtic salt, um, even regular salt, if you don't have anything else into your water is going to do a lot more for your hydration. And then there's lots of other ways you can get hydration these days. Uh, I use a company called Totem Sport, which gives you these like sachets. There's LMNT, which is another company that makes salt water like or salt uh, packets with magnesium and potassium and things like that. So I think I like to, I, I, and also, I guess the other piece of that is not making sure that you're drinking out of like a glass um, and not drinking out of plastic and things like that is also really important too, because I, I find that people are drinking a lot of bottled water these days. And that's reasonable if the tap water is shit, which is mostly the case in everywhere in the world. Tap water is terrible. But if you can stick with glass, drinking out of glass, you'll do better there as well. Just drinking out of plastic is a bad idea. Now there's a a lot of people, you know, if if someone has high blood pressure or will drinking adding salt to my water increase my blood pressure, mm. is that a problem? No, we're not talking about enough salt. We're talking like a pinch of salt in your water. It's not going to increase your blood pressure. There's only a very certain subset of people with hypertension that have salt sensitive hypertension in the sense that most people don't. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's not everybody that has hypertension that needs to watch their salt. You have to understand what your reaction to salt is as hypertensive. If you do take blood pressure medications, because some people will be sensitive, but the majority are not sensitive. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so I, I want to dive into some of the, the other modalities here, yeah, assuming sure. that, you know, we've, we've gotten our, uh, our blood work in reasonable order, or hormones, minerals, things like that. Um, so talk to me about things like, um, let's start with, um, red light near infrared light. Sure. Um, are you using that? Oh yeah. Yeah. All the time. Ah, so okay. there's near infrared and there's far infrared, right? Near infrared is what you'll find in these new panels that are all over the world, like juve panels and low level light therapy, these panels that you sit in front mm -hmm. of, right? You wrap around your face or your, your arm or put on your genitals, all these kinds of places these days. And, um, the reason for it is that low level light therapy, red light therapy, 660 nanometer light is typically the wavelength around that 660, 680 has significant properties where what it does is actually dilate blood vessels. It dilates blood vessels in the area that you shine the light. And it also increases energy production in the area that you've shown the light as well. So it stimulates the mitochondria, the powerhouse of your cells within the area that's been shined, shown, shown to the light, shined the light. My my uh, my, my grammar, I should have learned English as a child. Um, but when, where the light's shining, that area the mitochondria in that area gets stimulated to produce more energy. And so you get dilated blood vessels and you get more energy produced in that area. And so if you're looking at your brain, for example, so you can actually shine lights up your nose into ah! the front. Yes. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> yes. Yes. No, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't, it's like a cool contraption that you just, you put on your nose, right? Like on the side of your nostril, and then it shines red light up your nose into the front of your brain. And so 
if you've heard of lobotomies before, yeah, back in the fifties. So they used to not I, I had a light. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. sorry. It didn't work for you. <laughs> I hate when that, those don't take, that's, that's a big deal. But the guy who actually won the Nobel prize for lobotomies back in the fifties, interestingly enough, but lobotomies were actually done by shoving a knife, a scalpel up your nose through into your brain and then taking brain out that way. Is that too graphic? Sorry. That's too much. I'm sorry if you're driving or eating, Ouch. but anyway, so the reason why they can do that is that there's something called the curbiform plate which is very, uh, this area on the, the, the base of your brain, right in the front near your nose, that's a direct, it's almost directly, um, it's, it's, it's directly accessible right there. So the light can shine directly into the frontal lobe of your brain. And we've actually, there's actually been some studies that have looked at dementia and traumatic brain injury using light in this way, nasal application to help stimulate the frontal lobe to work better. And they've actually shown that the frontal lobe does work better if you use light in this particular area. And so that's because you're increasing energy production and you're also increasing the dilation of blood vessels because what's in your blood vessels, oxygens in your blood vessels, excuse me, nutrients in your blood vessels. And as a result of those two things being in there together, you're going to have the ability to make more energy in the cells that are getting more blood flow. And so that's what you see, not only in your brain, but if it's in your shoulder, if you've had a shoulder injury, or if you've had a neck injury, or if you've had a back injury or whatever, like I, what I'll have people do oftentimes is use light therapy before hyperbaric therapy, um, or even inside the chamber itself, because we're giving more oxygen in a hyperbaric environment. And now you have all this increased energy production capability because there's more blood vessels that are dilated in a specific area. So more oxygen is going to go to those areas and help energy produced in those particular cells that you're looking, that you're, you're shining the light on, for example. So low level light therapy um, is being used a lot in the biohacking world, but also in the, in the performance world now too, as we know really what it is, David is, is a mitochondrial optimizer. That's what it's doing. It's optimizing mitochondrial function, energy production in the, in the areas that you're shining the lights. Um, so you've been mentioning, you use the words, um, uh, in the area where I'm shining the light. So, yeah. um, what happens if I get, uh, like I've been going to a place down the hill here where they have like a couple of giant panels and it's like my entire body front mm -hmm. back 10 minutes. So well, am I, yes. what does that do versus just in a, just a small part? Well, what the panels do is just shine light in, in a larger area of your body. That's what, why they're panels. So you're getting that effect in a larger area is what it comes down to. Now, red light doesn't go. So the thing about red light in the panels is that the, as far as how much it actually goes into your tissue, mm -hmm. um, is there's only a certain, um, micron, not micron depth. It's like a millimeter depth that is going to go into your tissue. Okay. But the closer the pads, so I often use pads for people that have particular injuries, because then it's going to get further into the tissue that way, if it's directly on your skin kind of thing. So like if for me, I had a shoulder injury a couple like a month ago, I was shining, I had the light pad directly on my shoulder and I was doing other stuff, of course, but then I was getting to the hyperbaric chamber and doing other, other kinds of modalities, but it was directly on my shoulder when it was there. So the panels are good, but they're, but they're relatively superficial unless you're super close to them and getting really, really close. And then, um, then you obviously flip back and forth and you get, you, and that's good because it's a stimulus for the rest of your body to actually shift as well. Once you're making more energy in other locations, the body is always like, it's like a highway system with, uh, with it. It's more like a triage system, I guess is better to say like it's triaging blood flow where it needs to go. And then it's optimizing where it needs to go. But it's kind of like, if you optimize in one area, it's also going to help optimize other areas that are around it as well. Ah, that, that's sort of where I was going with yeah. this. So if yeah. I was just applying to my shoulder, 
um, versus my entire body. If I do my entire body, am I acclimating my entire body? And so I'm not going to get the benefit of my shoulders if I was doing sort of an acute treatment on the shoulder. Well, you get some benefit on your shoulder too, but you get more benefit if you had a direct pad that was on your shoulder. I see. Uh, so, you know, one of the things that seems to happen um, to people, myself included, is certain um, ex, uh, circulation issues sure. in our extremities as we get older, which I assume has something to do with um, capillary constriction or some sort of vascularity issue. Um, it, would this be helpful for that? So I don't know the studies on specifically using light therapy for vascular issues um, like this, but um, my assumption, and I have to take a look at the data to be sure, is that what we're doing is increasing blood flow, right? So mm -hmm. th the question just becomes to me, how sustainable is that mm -hmm. blood flow improvement oh, in the sense yep. that, is it just helping you in the short term, right? as opposed to something like hyperbaric oxygen therapy, which is causing something called angiogenesis, new blood vessels being formed in an area. So is the light just improving blood flow for the time that you're getting the light shined in, I can't, my grammar again, but the light shown in that particular area, um, or is it something that's more long-term? I I'm pretty sure with lights, because I know from other, from other experiences. So for example, I mentioned you shine the light up your nose, you get brain improvements. Mm. Those brain improvements don't tend to last. People tend to need to have to do the light therapy regularly to, to maintain those improvements. So my assumption here and assumptions are always dangerous, but my assumption is that it's a short-term fix mm. in the sense, not a long-term solution. So, but it could be one of the things that you're doing, obviously in the kind of armamentarium of other things that you're also doing to improve blood flow. Um, and what's the, uh, the frequency, the dosage that you're doing with this? It depends on the lights and it depends on the, the location, but typically people are doing uh, like uh, the panels is typically 20 minutes a day. Uh, maybe I think it's how, what are you doing at the facility now? What are they having you do like seven minutes uh, aside or something? They're 12 minutes and they're these huge panels on each side of me. And yeah. I just sort of stand naked between these things. Right. Right. So it's usually about 20 minutes a treatment. And usually that's trying like, depending on where it is, if it's like the full body, it's about 20 minutes and you're kind of rotating. Um, if it's on a particular location, like a shoulder, typically about 15 to 20 minutes, that kind of thing, kind of a daily therapy. Um, some, it could be three times a week, depending on the type of protocols that you're doing. Um, but I like, if you have a panel, then you, I would have people use it six to seven, six days out of the week. I always like people to take at least one day off with these kinds of things. Mm. Um, and that's because the body has a very good way of acclimating to things. You know, like we know if you go to the, the gym and you work out the same muscle group, you do the same exercises, like the first time you do them, you're going to be sore. The 17th time, you're not going to be sore anymore because your muscles get used to those particular activities. Just like with hyperbaric therapy, you don't want to do it every day for the rest of your life. You want to be doing things and cycle them off depending on protocols. And I think with lights, it's likely the same thing. I don't think we have a good sense of what those protocols look like with lights, but in general, what I'll have people do initially, if they really need the mitochondrial support and the energy production is do it daily for a period of time and then go down to like three times a week. And then I'll add in like supplements and things like that, that help with mitochondrial optimization as well, that kind of support that and support energy production. Because one of the things I get concerned about just in the hyperbaric chambers, it's the same thing. You want to optimize vitamins, minerals, and nutrients. But if you're just if you're if you're making a lot of energy a lot a lot of the time, you want to be supporting that energy production process as well. So I use a supplement. I don't know if I spoke about it last time on the podcast. It's called Methylene Blue, and Methylene Blue is a dye um, that's been around for a long time. It was actually initially the color of it was the coloring of blue jeans back in the 1870s. Like a long, it was actually the first drug registered with the FDA 
back in the 1880s or 90s for malaria. So it's antifungal, it's antibacterial, it's also antiviral. Um, but over the last hundred years, we've figured out that it's actually a, a fantastic mitochondrial optimizer, especially mm. at lower doses. And so uh, with three other of my colleagues, we, we actually started a company and one of the products we make is a methylene blue product. Um, funny enough, we started the, the company right before the pandemic, and there's been some interesting data on methylene blue with a particular virus that started the pandemic as well, especially in the, uh, the post-COVID viral syndrome kind of thing as well. So um, it's a really cool product, and it's, but I use it for people that um, are looking just to optimize their mitochondrial function. Mm. And in the hyperbaric chamber, I use it a lot to help support energy production as well in the mitochondria, your powerhouse producing cell, part of your cell. So- if I take methylene blue, will I be able to run faster further? So you have more energy production capacity. So what it does, and I haven't actually worked with a runner specifically on, on a protocol recently, she's a marathon runner and she was getting better times. And the reason for that is that it's not, it hasn't been studied in this way, but you, so what it happens is that you can only make a certain, a certain amount of energy until you run out of it, right? This is what happens. Like if you're making, if you're running and you start feeling that burning in your muscles, it's because you're no longer able to make energy effectively. You're making it through a different pathway because you've lost, you don't have enough oxygen getting to your tissue basically. So what methylene blue does, it acts just like oxygen in your cells. And so it gives you more capacity to continue to make energy for a longer period of time. So it's, it's super interesting how this particular molecule works. It also helps dump more oxygen into tissue. So your oxygen is usually on red blood cells. That's how it's carried. And then when it gets to your tissue, the oxygen gets dumped into your tissue so that it gets used. But most oxygen actually, so you have like on each hemoglobin, which is like the molecule that carries oxygen on your red blood cells, you have four oxygen molecules. Okay. When your body takes up the oxygen from your lungs, and then drops oxygen into your tissues, typically only dropping off one, maybe two of those oxygen molecules. So you have a lot of reserve there. And that's in case you need to run from a bear or you're at low oxygen conditions for a short period of time or something, or you're holding your breath. Um, lots of other uh, examples, but what this particular molecule can do, this compound methylene blue is it can actually help dump more oxygen into tissue at lower thresholds instead of the higher threshold. And what I mean by that is that you're getting more in there without, uh, without having to have like extreme, uh, extreme influence on your body in some way to make that happen. So that just gives you, it just gives you more oxygen carrying capacity is what it comes down to. Um, I take five grams of creatine every morning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not, not so much for athletic performance, but for like immune and brain function. Right. Um, does this work in the same pathway? So creatine is different. You know, creatine supports your vitamins and minerals, mostly your vitamins and your B vitamins. What it does is it helps cycle your methyl groups. And so what the short story is everybody's heard of, like a lot of people have heard of this gene called the motherfucker gene, like MTHFR, for example. Um, that's what it's, that's the other name. We call it the motherfucker gene MTHFR. But anyway, long story short is that some people aren't, aren't as good at recycling parts of the B vitamins that are activated, what's called their methyl groups. And so what, cre what creatine does, it helps recycle those groups basically and helps them utilize them better. Now, higher doses of creatine do other things as well. Um, including additional things on energy production, but in general, lower doses, three to five grams are helping with methyl cycling. And that's really good because you need all those B vitamins to make energy. Every single step in your energy production cycle requires a B vitamin. So if you don't have those in high quantities, you're also going to be at, uh, you're going to be at, uh, you're going to at a detriment. You're going to be at a handicap to be, as a, the ability to make more energy basically. And I, I think what I want to say here is we're not just talking about, um, athletic energy. 
like no, your brain, all energy. <laughs> your all immune energy. system that, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, your brain, I mean, it's a good point. Your brain takes up 20% of your oxygen at all times. So mm-hmm. it's a hugely metabolic organ. And so I was just at a conference yesterday and a, a colleague of mine, his name is Brian McKenzie, who is a breath worker, was giving the example that a chess player that doesn't move, like, but that's in a chess tournament, they burn up to 6,000 calories in one day mm-hmm. without even moving right? They're just there playing chess, but that's how metabolically active your brain is to, to give you a feel of like You don't have to, this is the other thing that people don't realize is that like, if you've been cognitively on all day and then you go directly to work out at the gym, that's like, that's a huge stress on your body. You know, it can be right. So you have to be thinking about these things, your brain, short stories, your brain is, is requiring a lot of metabolic activity, a lot of oxygen, a lot of vitamins and minerals and at all times. Um, little side story about chess players. Mm. Um, a friend of mine did a uh, a documentary on them. There's mm. a lot of not so legal performance enhancing drugs involved in that. Oh, world. of course, of course. <laughs> I mean, that's with anything these days. I mean, Lance Armstrong. That's easy, right? And said you, you'd imagine they'd want to do things to perform better, but chess yeah. players, <laughs> gamers, um, you know, all these kinds of like mind activities, poker. Yeah. Um, they, these are my, you know, using performance enhancing supplements and drugs is, is part of part of the process. And actually we have a couple of chess players and a couple of gamers that use the methylene blue. And we have a one compound, we have one supplement that we use. It's called blue canatine. That's a combination of nicotine, caffeine, oh. <laughs> methylene blue, and CBD. Um, nicotine is a great performance enhancer, David. Oh yeah. Great. And it works really well and people get scared of it because they think that nicotine's addictive and they are correct. Yeah. However, the dose of nicotine that to be addictive and the, the route of administration are the key. So you don't want to vape or, or you don't want to smoke nicotine ever because that directly gets into your, into your bloodstream through your lungs and gives you a direct hit of nicotine, which releases dopamine. And everybody knows what dopamine is these days the reward chemical neurotransmitter in our brain amongst others, but mostly dopamine. But when you're using it orally, like you take it in a, like a lozenge that we have or a spray or, um, or even take it sublingually, it doesn't hit you as fast. And so you don't get that same reward pathway signal. And so it doesn't have the addictive potential as it would if you were smoking and vaping. So low dose nicotine, very low dose, just one milligram as compared to a cigarette that has like 25 milligrams. So you're laughing at me, but it's true. It works. You know what I was chewing right before our, our podcast? Nicotine. I love nicotine. I just want to say- They've been the studying first, it. The first physician I have ever spoken to or yes. heard of who's pro-nicotine. So, Well, um, look, they're studying it in okay. Alzheimer's disease. You can look up the studies. Like This is okay. not- I'm not out of left field. It's just that we have such a- uh, the, the world of nicotine is so bastardized by, of, of course, and it should be by Nick, by the ways it's being used in vaping and smoking products. But if it's being used intentionally in a product that's helping with cognitive performance, I promise you it's fantastic. So, but again, you have to be like anything else. Like if you drink caffeine every day, is it good for you? Right? No, it's not actually like, I mean, uh, it's better for you to be cycling off these kinds of things. It's better for your body to have times off of caffeine and then on caffeine as well. You'll enjoy it more because you'll actually feel the effects of the caffeine more that way too. So um, I'm just, I'm not, but what I think for me is David is I'm not a zero sum game kind of guy. You know, I'm like, I think there's probably a, a place for most drugs in, 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 in some time in, in people's lives. I mean, there's a guy, 
I don't know if you've read his book. He's a physician he, and he's an MD and researcher at Columbia. His name is Dr. Carl Hart. And he wrote a whole book on his use of heroin, for example, recreationally. <laughs> and so there's a big proponent, uh, there's a big aspect of drug culture that was related to minorities and racism and, and giving that sort of moniker to some of these drugs because it was being used by those minority groups. And so it's just interesting. Like I'm, I'm not saying I'm a proponent of people using heroin, don't get me wrong, but there, I just think it's interesting. And I've learned a lot about this over the last several years because I was, I grew up, I didn't try any of this stuff until I was much older. Um, there's a place for a lot of these things. And, and I think it's interesting that as long as you're using things intentionally, you're not you know 18 years old and going to a party, right. And like, you know, using ecstasy, like, because MDMA is a fantastic drug for PTSD, we're finding out and depression. And we're using these things in clinical studies now. And I have friends and, and family members that have benefited from these kinds of things. And so just to kind of throw it out there, larger context of what, where I think nicotine lays or lies in this case. So surprising facts from Dr. Scott here today. There's um, more probably I'll try to <laughs> surprise you at least one more time. <laughs> that, that's a good one. Um, uh, I'm going to send you some to try. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, you know what? I, mean, I, I think we're doing ketamine in uh, early July. I'm going to a ketamine clinic. We interviewed well, a ketamine doc. And I'm so kind of ketamine's fantastic. I mean, look, I have a lot of my, I mean, ketamine is one of those other drugs that, you know, it's been around a long time. It's an anesthetic, but it's also mm -hmm. at lower doses been used, especially in the last five or 10 years for depression. There's actually a, a drug a pharmaceutical drug called S-ketamine that is something a doctor can prescribe to you. It's a nasal spray mm -hmm. instead of an antidepressant that works in four to six weeks, which is like your usual SSRIs, your Paxils, your Zoloft's, your Cymbalta's that take four to six weeks to work. It works immediately because it works on very different receptors. And so if you're having a hard time, ketamine is a certainly an interesting idea. I mean, I have friends that work in clinics. There's also the home delivery of ketamine now that's mm -hmm. become much, much bigger. I think one place, what is it? Uh, field trip is the name of the company. So people can take a look at that, but like, it's all a very interesting world. And, and what also ketamine is doing, it's actually neurologically working in a way that's improving. I think it's synapse. Is it dendrites increasing dendrite or increasing, increasing synapse? I can't remember which one, but it, it has all this ability of improving neuroplasticity as well. So I'm using it with the chambers as well. So um, uh, let's move to, um, what are your other <laughs> modalities here? Um, sorry, okay. I get, get ahead of myself. <laughs> um, uh, PMF. Sure. What's so post electromagnetic field technology, it's a very large umbrella term for a lot of different technologies inside of it. But basically what the technology is doing is improving microcirculation, microcirculation. So like circulation in like smaller blood vessels and also improving detoxification within those, in, in, within the microcirculation, because it's creating an electric charge um, that's improving energy production in those cells as well. So it doesn't dilate blood vessels as much as I, as I understand it, but it's more of a improving circulation and detox overall. And would this be helpful to people again, back to this sort of like, um, you know, yeah. vascularity issues. Um, it could certainly be, I I've seen mostly though, the, the PEMP device being used for detox, uh, overall. And then also for what's the best way to describe it. I would say with injuries, I've seen people using it with injuries a lot to help with circulation in, and also detox in the tissue as well. So like I've seen it with like 
with orthopedic kinds of injuries. I haven't seen it being used specifically for vascular injuries, but I'm not, that's not my field specifically. What I typically do in, in the hyperbaric world is that I'll have people get into the chamber and then use the PEMP devices afterwards to help with the microcirculation, getting more blood flow to that area and helping with the detox side of things as well. Mm, so possibly a, a temporal effect versus a right. more long-lived effect like the Right, effect. more of a temporal effect. Although if for injuries, I've heard people using PEMP devices only and having significant benefit. So yeah, I think the same that, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, again, so if there's like a chronic issue, it's probably not going to solve it, but it may help. But if it's a sh- an acute issue, it may help solve the issue. Um, something very cheap, easy to get to, cold. Mm. Um, are you using cold? Yeah. So I was at an event yesterday where they were doing Wim Hof breathing and going into ice baths. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that Done Wim that. Hof, <laughs> yeah, Wim Hof is the known as the ice man. He has a good vice documentary for those of you who haven't heard of him before. He combines breathing practices that are pretty ancient actually, and then just uses that as a way for people to change their physiology and tolerate cold much easier. And then there's a lot of different benefits, but cold specifically has been around obviously since we've been humans and out of Africa and our bodies are very much primed for cold. And what cold does the first and foremost, what it does is it actually constricts down blood vessels. Okay. And so this is what happens. You guys, everybody knows what this feels like. You're in cold, your extremities get cold, but your, 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 your core doesn't get cold very easily. Your core will stay warm as long as it absolutely can be until it can't. And then that's when you start dying of hypothermia. And this is why you see people like on Mount Everest without clothes on, because what happens at the end of being super, super cold is that your body starts dilating like crazy, even though it's not supposed to. And you get a lot of blood flow to your skin and you feel warm, even though that you're cold inside. So, but short-term cold exposure, what it does is constrict down blood vessels. It, It perfuses your core, your heart, your kidneys, your lung, your brain, your lungs, your brain. And after you come out of the cold, you get this reflexive vasodilation. So you get all this new blood getting all to the, your periphery. And as a result of that, you feel and get this blood flow to your tissues that you may have been getting before, and especially areas that have been inflamed, areas that have been injured, areas that have been hurting for whatever reason, like joints, bone, that kind of thing. You know, bone is very vascular. We forget that too, but bone is not the bone you see on a skeleton. The bone is it's full of blood vessels and full of nerve endings. And that's why it's painful. And that's why, you know, that's why bone is extremely important, um, not only from like a structural perspective, but also from a vascular perspective as well. That's where your bone marrow is. That's where you make your new blood cells, et cetera. But anyway, so you're getting all this new blood flow to those areas. And you're also getting a lot of what's called lymphatic flow as well. You're getting all this flow of garbage and waste products out of tissue into your lymphatics. And then that those get processed and detoxified as well. So that's the first thing. And the most important thing, one of the most important things that happens with cold. The second is that you get this release of neurotransmitters that give you this euphoric feel. And the euphoria is from your neurotransmitters that are responsible for your fight or flight mechanism. This is your adrenaline, your epinephrine, your norepinephrine, or also called adrenaline and noradrenaline. That's the same thing. And you also, we also think this is probably affecting what's called your endocannabinoid system as well. Your endocannabinoid system, your ECS is your, your body's innate ability to produce cannabinoid like products. Um, it, it got, unfortunately it was, it was named after cannabis, but this is an internal system you have in your body that gives you feelings of bliss basically. And there's a particular neurotransmitter 
uh, that's released in the system called anandamide, anandamide, it's A-N-A-N-D-I-M-I-D-E, I think, anandamide. Um, and it's, it's, it comes from the Sanskrit word of bliss. And that's, we, you know, people have always, when I was a kid, I'm sure you were a kid, David, they're like, oh, that's the endorphins that you feel. Endorphins, what those really are, for the most part, there are some opiates that are, that are released there too. But for the most part, we think it's actually endogenous or internal cannabinoids, specifically anandamide. So short story is you feel good after being in the cold because those neurotransmitters are being released. So, and then the third thing that happens as a result of those two things is that you have immune system improvements, your inflammatory cascade. So your inflammation will go down as well. And so those are the major things that are happening in cold. And there's different types of cold exposures. There's and there's different and there's different temperatures and there's different lengths of time and all these kinds of things when it comes to cold. But in essence, there's cold tubs, there's going into a cold water type of environment. And then there's cryotherapy machines. There's these are it's dry and it's cold. Um, typically cryo is extremely cold. Like I think it's minus 240 degrees Fahrenheit mm -hmm. or something like that. I think that that's the, the number. And that's usually for a three minute exposure with your hands and your feet covered with gloves because your mm -hmm. hands and feet are more sensitive to cold as we all know. And then in a cold tub, the temperature can vary. It can be anywhere from 50 degrees to 32 degrees, uh, with ice on the top that, you, and that you're going into right away kind of thing. And so, um, we don't know exactly what the sweet spot is as far as where the, you, you get all the benefits from cold is how long you need to be in there, what temperature it needs to be like in general, it probably doesn't have to be at 32 degrees in water. Um, but if you do there, you go at 32 degrees, you probably don't have to be in there for very long. Like there's a lot of these like cold water challenges and staying there for a long time. And I, I, most of your benefits from being between 30 and 50 degrees Fahrenheit water is going to be in within the first two to four minutes. After that, it's just like for posterity's sake for the most part. Um, but the fantastic thing about cold, I think finally to wrap this up, is that it's a fantastic way to train your fear response. Because, oh, yeah. because the first 30 seconds, you Ooh. feel like you're going the first, especially the first couple of times you do it, you feel like you're going to die. Your body yeah. is doing everything it possibly can to tell you to get the fuck out of the water or get the fuck out of the cold, whatever it is. Yeah. But if you can go past that and you can, mm -hmm. and there, that's why the breathing practices can be very helpful. That's when your body becomes this sort of blissful state of just peace that you feel after that, after that, your amygdala, your, your fear response, the amygdala is the part of your brain that has your, your fear, mostly your fear center. Once that shuts off, the fear goes away. You just want to get out when it's too cold. You're not because you're, you're fear, you're fearing the cold anymore. So that's a really great way to train your nervous system as well. Um, I, I have some experience with this and, um, the, uh, gym that I go to, I'm, I'm in park city, the, one of the pools, they don't heat in the winter. So hmm. it of course freezes over. So, um, you know, me and some of the other folks, we take a dumbbell, we break the ice and you got to pull the ice out folks, because it'll cut your chest. You got to pull the chunks out. Yes. Be careful. And then, um, but that, so that's probably 33 degrees. Um, I can do that for maybe a little over a minute and it's just the hard part is getting out because the air is like 15 degrees and your hands are wet right so what happens when you grab onto those aluminum poles they freeze mm -hmm. <laughs> right? but right but, you, you know you come i feel like superhuman when i come out of that thing this last weekend i did it i went to a cryo chamber and by the way the only way i can like tolerate 
that that like 33 degree cold is Wim Hof. Like I gotta do right. that, or I'll just I, it just is forget it. I'm just gonna die. Um, but I did the I did cryo, and I did it at uh, three minutes, and it was minus 185. And I sort of did my like regular Wim Hof, and compared to the ice water, it's nothing. It yeah. was like yeah, it's a little cold, yeah, whatever. But it's yeah, not. It's the wetness <laughs> of being in the water. Ooh. It just changes the surface. It changes the surface cold. It's yeah. a very different feel. And we do think most likely that the wet, the cold water is better and more yeah. therapeutic than the cryo chambers. Although I, I have this, I've had the same experience. I mean, your cryo, like your three minutes are up. You're like, okay, eh, that was cold, never. but I'm okay. Uh, yeah. But yeah, certainly with the water, it's a different thing. But um, yeah, the most important thing is that when you get out of the water, I always keep saying the most important, but this is extremely important is that you warm yourself up as fast as possible. Oh, yeah. So yeah. when you get up, you have to really increase because what's going to happen is that your core temperature is going to drop as it tries to, um, as it tries to perfuse your, your extremities as you, as you come out. So you have to, right. you have to increase your cardiac output, increase your heart rate so that you're increasing the amount of perfusion that's going through fast, as fast as you can. So you mentioned something you mentioned about blood flow through the bone and joints, like understanding if I have this correct, is that cryotherapy, the, the, the super cold stuff in the chambers was, was developed in Japan for arthritis. Are you seeing people arthritic getting benefit from the cold? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of a, it's surprising because you think of mm. cold being bad for people with arthritis, but right. it's the same effect. It's the, it's initially cold, but then it's very warm, right? The joint right. gets very warm afterwards because of all that, all that blood flow that's going to the tissue, right? So as a result of that, you certainly see benefits in people with, with arthritis. That's super interesting. Um, I know there's a lot of people out there that are going to want to hear this. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not easy. You don't want to start off, you know, really crazy. You know, you don't have to start off with 32 degrees in the ice. You no, don't do with, that. Please don't yes, do that. You'll go yes, into cardiac yes. arrest. Don't do that. Yeah. Well, I'll show me. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, a, that's an interesting story. Um, we did a, we did an experiment in medical school where you, you put your face in ice water. Ooh. And if you put your face in ice water, you have these receptors in your neck that, are receptive to cold. And so you're, it's very, basically your vagal response will happen. Your heart rate will slow down. So it can slow down dramatically. And so for me, it went down like 40% and my friends, it did too. But one of my friends, his heart stopped. He went asystolic <laughs> and we pulled him out of the water. Bad outcome. <laughs> and, and, uh, he, and if he was still, he was still awake. He's like, what happened? I thought I was going to die. So again, some people are more sensitive to cold. So if you're going to start you know, start with your lower body first and don't, you know, put your shoulder up to your shoulders first. Right. And then that's, that's what I would say. And then it's also easier to tolerate if you keep your hands out of the water too, if for people that are just starting. Yeah. So like if you're doing it like in an ice bath, for example, you, um, just like my progress with this was, I started with, um, showers mm -hmm. and then sort of progressively cold with the showers. I did not go from like zero to the Wim Hof thing that I know, um, yeah, I don't recommend that. I mean, I think yeah. it, it's best to do in, in in a setting where you have a little bit of support if you're going to go into a cold tub too. Yeah, because it's really great to have like a coach outside that's helping you, and that's what the Wim Hof instructors will do. There's lots of instructors all over the U.S. and all over the world these days. Um, there's also a friend of mine. Her name is Kristen Whitesell, who's in Austin, Texas, and has her own company. Um, she'd be fun to talk to at some point for you if you really want to dive into the cold and all this. But she's got her own business and she trains people all over the world as well doing cold and. Uh, works with a lot of women specifically, actually. Um, let's switch from cold to heat. Yeah. Um, so I, I have spoken a lot about sauna um, and a huge, huge sauna proponent. But the, the sauna that I use is like 
the room gets hot, right? So it's sort of the classic um, finish type. Right, sure. But people ask me all the time about infrared sauna. Does it do the same thing? And does it? So the answer is, I don't think it does the same thing. I think it's good. There's, I think there's different things mm. that are happening in an infrared sauna um, as opposed to a high heat finish type sauna. Like the finished saunas are basically exercise. They are hormetic stress on your body, blasting you with heat. They are making your endorphins and your, your stress hormones go up. And, and so it's got a similar kind of, um, it's, it's basically similar to exercise as far as I'm mm-hmm. concerned. So, you know, what's great about that is that for people that can't exercise because they have arthritis and, or they have other joint or mobility issues, you can use the high heat sauna and see significant benefit in that capacity. Mm-hmm. Now from an infrared sauna perspective, where I see these things really shining is that, so first of all, we're using a type of light. So this is, this is, this is far infrared heat that's coming in a wavelength that would be exactly the same heat that's coming from the sun. So it heats you up in a different way. It heats you up from the inside out. So you don't feel the blasting of heat as you do in a finish sauna, but you feel like you're all of a sudden just starting to pour out sweat. And I, the way I, I think about this is I really think of the infrared saunas as a detox mechanism. They're really in the world, I think, for helping you detox from your day-to-day Western, wherever you live, operations, right? Your toxic exposures, your, your other exposures that are around. Um, it really does help just help clean out the body is the best I would say it. So you have to replace with mineral hydration and, and that's really important because you do sweat a lot in the, in the infrared sauna too, but it takes longer. You don't typically, and this is also very indicative of somebody's health. If you start, if you don't sweat an infrared sauna, that usually means that you're pretty toxic actually. And so like, then I have people that can't tolerate infrared saunas for more than a couple minutes, even before feeling terrible. That's also another indicator that you have a lot of underlying inflammation, a lot of underlying stuff that needs to be addressed. So, um, but overall they're easier for people to tolerate than the finish high heat sauna because it's a different type of heat exposure. So I use it in a lot of my patients that have, um, that have a lot of inflammation that have a lot of needs from like a complex medical illness perspective, or they're just running all the time and they don't need any more stress. They just need to fucking relax. And like, this is more of a relaxation kind of mechanism where you're still getting detox capability. Now this is, there's nuances to all of this, right? Because a high heat sauna is great because it also helps reset your nervous system and your, and your sympathetic nervous system specifically. So your fight or flight and helps modulate that and, and helps it maybe be healthier over the long term. However, most people are so sympathetically dominant all day. Like they're, they're going, they're going, they're going, they're going, they need to recover. They don't need more stress in their life kind of thing. And so I think the barrel or the the high heat finish are great, but in people that are, are finding other ways to recover outside of the sauna. That's not a recovery tool as far as I'm concerned. That's more of a stress. It's a stress tool, right? It's a, it's a hormetic stress tool. Uh, yes. And I, I have found this out. I've been um, doing this uh, crazy eight-week Joel Jamison conditioning program. And nice. what I, I... It's awesome. The guy's a genius. Um, but it's stressful. Um, and you know, what I would do is I would like do this program for an hour and a half and then I would go into the sauna and I've realized that is a really bad idea. Um, go in the sauna on the off day. If you go when you're like jacked up like that, it takes my body like six, eight hours to like calm down from that. 
Yeah. That's because you're just, you're, the, the stress levels, the stress hormones are so high, Yeah, um, but you can go into an infrared sauna and I have people uh-huh. do and the other thing nice about the infrared sauna is you actually can do exercise in there. So not like oh. crazy stuff, but you can do stretching. You can do yoga. Like, the mm-hmm. nice thing about the sauna also is that, you know, it heats you up, right? So your, your joints will be heated up. Your, your muscles will be heated up. So you can do more flexibility training and more things like that too. In the finish sauna, it's hard to do because you're just so damn hot. Yeah, it's, um, it is interesting. I, I wear a heart rate monitor, of course, mm-hmm. in the sauna because that's how I roll. <laughs> No problem. I, my heart rate doesn't go up very much. No. In, oh, mine does. It does in the, in the infrared sauna. So I have oh. one in my house. I have an infrared ah. sauna and it does go up, but it doesn't go like usually about like for me, my resting is around 50, 45 mm-hmm. or 50. And then, so in the sauna, it'll go up to about a hundred, but it won't go to like 150 or like 130. Right. Oh, no, which is my, where, yeah. which is where you would go in the high heat sauna. So yeah. Yeah. If I go after like a work, like what, like a heavy workout and I go in there by the end, it's like 130, um, which is Right. You know, you're just, what you're, what you're doing is just adding another half hour of aerobic work, um, right. to, to your workout is right. what's happening. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I think it's like, so, so high heat sauna is exercise. Yeah. Um, infrared is more recovery. That's what I would say mm. is, is the short story. That's really great. Um, so get both. I need to get the, I need to get the finish type at my house. I don't have that yet. Although my next device is probably going to be the cold plunge i don't have yeah one. yeah the cold yeah. yeah i've been sort of thinking i've been like tempted we've got like an extra bathroom here and i've been sitting telling my wife like well we can she's like are you out of your mind you- <laughs> well they make machines now that are self-cleaning and that yeah are fancy and sexy looking they're just in it they're not there's this expensive they're like four or five k starting so yeah i think her thing is just like get a barrel and a bag of ice <laughs> you could do that too there's that's that's the other way <laughs> that works um Scott, where this has been fantastic. I know you got to go in a second. Is there anything you want to leave people with? I know you mentioned you've got a, a new company doing methylene blue. Sure. Um, how do yeah. they connect with you? We'll put it in the show notes, of course, but anything yeah. you want to tell people? Yeah. I mean, I think where I, I like people to establish a framework is the sense that these are great technologies, saunas, lights, heat, PEMF, they're all great. But we talked about in the beginning, like start with the basics first, try to optimize levels of vitamins, minerals, and nutrients. Do the do that in combination. You're going to see fantastic benefits. And work on your breathing. I forgot breathe well. That was another mm. one in the beginning. Breathe well is extremely important. And move well. I forgot those two. But breathing well and moving well, sleeping well, eating well, loving well, right? Hydrating well. Those are the ones that I really focus on. And so do all of those and you're going to feel fantastic. And then you can add some of these other technologies on that are even going to make things rock even further. And so you know, a company like mine who makes products, uh, may be helpful along the way. Methylene blue is a fantastic compound. I use it clinically in my patients. I use it. We have an e-commerce company that makes it. The company's called Troscriptions. It's like the word prescription, but with a TRO in front of, in front of it. We make these things called buccal lozenges. They go in your mouth. They dissolve between your cheek and your gums on the upper side, and they dissolve over 15 to 30 minutes. The nice thing about that is that they don't get digested by your gut and by your liver. So they, they, act faster and they work fantastically well for brain function. We have the crazy one that was well, not crazy, but it does have nicotine in it. You know, I'm going to send some to David. He's going to tell you all about it and how, how amazing he feels. Totally he cracked it. out. And no, you feel great. It feels like, it feels like you were just focused that you're on. It feels like you're productive. Mm. The words come out. I should take some of that after the cold. I would then be like really no, you wouldn't want to do it after the cold. You're, you're already stimulated after. The oh, cold. okay. You, you don't need anything else. Like the cold is, is good, but I like the off days. Right. Oh, all right. Um, 
And then on like, we have another product that's called just blue, which is just pure methylene blue. And that one is the mitochondrial optimizer helping with energy production. It's just really, it, it does, it, it's blue. It, it does turn your pee a little bit blue too. So that's, that's just a side effect as a heads up, but no big deal really there, but it's, it's a great compound to help with uh, optimizing your mitochondrial function. And then we have one other product that's called Trocom. This is a product that helps relieve anxiousness and stress. And it has a combination of things like kava and CBD and CBG and, and uh, something called nicotinoid GABA. So I don't think any of these supplements are the end all be all. I just think that we, we wanted to create a company that had definite impact rapidly while people mm -hmm. are doing the things that are basic, I hope. And then also looking at the diving into their, their blood work and analysis, and then finding all the fun contraptions along the way and saunas and lights and et cetera. So more people are having these these things in their in their houses, which I think is great. And I think what we're going to see over the long term is that we're going to see companies um, trying to help you understand how to do all these things better. Mm -hmm. And I just have I have a company also called OneBase. This is a new company as well, David. That just came out. We're coming out with an app to help with education on this side of things too. If you have all these technologies, how do you use them all? So um, anyway, I, I can give you more information in your show notes, but that's going to be coming out for people to be able to utilize soon too. I need to know about one base. Yeah, that's all right. Well, you're going to, um, you'll hit me up on that soon. I know you got to jump. You got another appointment. I apologize. Yeah, but it's very nice to see you again. Thank you for taking it's some good time. To see you. Thank and you for you all guys, the info. My pleasure. And oh yeah. So you can find me at my website. It's just my name, drscottsher.com. That's mostly my hyperbaric work, but you can find many other things that I do through that as well. Super. Thank okay. you so much. Bye guys. Take care. Thank you all for joining us on the show today. It's been great to have you with us. And uh, just again, that call in number 801-871-5291. If there's some sort of comment, um, I know Scott said some pretty interesting things in the show today. <laughs> give, us a, give us a shout. We'd love to address that. Um, or if you're feeling shy and you still want to get in touch, david at superage.com. I answer all of my email personally and directly. If you enjoyed the show today, please leave us a comment. Please leave us a rating and absolutely share this with your friends. Tell them about the Super Age Show. Big shout out to our sponsor, Inside Tracker. Great program. Go to insidetracker.com slash ageist. Save 20% on all their products. Till next week, we'll see you then. 